Hi there, fiber friends. Thank you for tuning into the Fiber Artist Podcast today. Uh, I've got a discount for you. If you're new to the podcast and to my fiber shop, uh, you can get 20% off at neuromastudio.com where we offer a huge selection, hundreds of colors of rope, string, art yarn, and weaving fibers. Use the code FiberPod for 20% off your first order from neuromastudio.com. And please don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a comment below. Ask me anything you want. I will answer it. Um, But yeah, it really helps us to sort of beat the algorithm. So please, please, please like, subscribe, and leave a comment. And now my guest today is the talented and wonderful Amanda Flory from Rogue Weaving. Amanda is truly a breath of fresh air. She brings us not only to her world of weaving, but also shares so much of her personal story from the dissolution of her marriage to her journey with sobriety to discovering her queer identity. Um, Amanda is definitely one to follow on Instagram. She does not hold back. She posts from the heart, and I think it's what so many of us have um, gotten to know and love from her. I, uh, I really loved getting to know her more on this podcast, and I hope you do too. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here's Amanda. Can you just start off and introduce yourself first and let people know where they can find you online and on Instagram? Yes, um, I'm Amanda, Amanda Fleurier. I never published my whole name anywhere, um, but I am probably best known as Rogue Weaving, R-O-G-U-E Weaving, and I am on Instagram at Rogue Weaving. Um, I recently joined TikTok. Yeah. Oh my I God, am- you made the leap. I'm <laughs> like, I mean, hats I'm, off to you. I'm, I'm bowing down. I'm a little embarrassed about it. Like, I'm in my 40s, dude. I don't belong on TikTok, but there I am. So you can follow me on TikTok at Rogue Weaving um, and then Facebook. And then my website is www.rogueweaving.com. So I've kept it pretty consistent across the board. Awesome. Um, Are you active on TikTok right now? I mean, I literally just joined it like three weeks ago. So I posted a few TikToks. And then I have to be honest, my little sister was the one that kind of convinced me because she told me she's like, you would kill it on lesbian TikTok. It's like, <laughs> apparently lesbians run TikTok, right? Oh, so, see, I didn't even I know did this. Go, I, right? Neither did I. And then I did go a little tiny bit viral, just a little bit on one of my early videos. So yeah, I have amassed a couple thousand followers on TikTok, like real quick, that are do not seem to have any interest in my fiber art practice. That's, That's okay. okay. Whatever. You know? you... Something for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I'm sure at some point, one you know, like a handful of them will could eventually become customers or get interested in weaving and start asking you about it. You know, you so never know I where it's going to I recently sold a pretty good size piece that, um, and a lot of times I know who's buying from me because I don't have a huge inventory and I'm really active on social media, especially Instagram. So I feel like most of the time I'm aware of like who is buying my pieces, especially larger ones. Um, and I recently sold one that I could not find like a follower or an Instagram contact or anyone that I'd ever chatted with before. So I think it might've been my first TikTok sale. Oh, that's so. awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. I'll have to follow you on there. I'm on it, but I just, um, you know, lurk. Like I don't post any, I, yeah. I don't think I've ever posted anything. I sometimes do it because I thought that it might be easier to do a, to do a TikTok and then post it in Instagram stories later. And then I was like, wait a minute, this is all too complicated. I don't understand what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah, I don't really know how to like integrate the two really well. And frankly, I'm not really a video person. Like video has never been my thing. I like reading and I like looking at photos. Like I've never done a real, I mean, I should, I, I, I'm having a hard time making that leap. But yeah, yeah I, I jumped into the TikTok thing and now I haven't posted anything for a couple of weeks. So this is a good reminder. I'll try to post a TikTok today. Yeah, you got to ride the wave. I got to, I got to, right. Lesbians love me. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, so I have a lot to ask you because I feel like, you know, you are one of the, you know, one of a handful of people who I have been following on Instagram for a while and you've 
had such a story to tell. And I think you've told, told tidbits of it here and there because it's hard to completely just spill everything over, yeah. um, you know, a visual medium that just that requires you to type out everything. Totally. So I don't know how open you're going to be. You can tell me when I'm crossing the line. But I feel like... <laughs> um, like eventually we are going to go into your backpack story with um with you know how you found fiber art and all that stuff but um first and i guess i i just want to dive into it december ish 2019 uh-huh. was it i feel like you went through a huge life change mm. um or whatever maybe it was just end of 2019 early 2020 i, I feel yeah. like um and even maybe in your work it, uh, you could sort of see a shift but um What's been going on in your life? Okay, so well, we can totally start there, and then I'll backtrack to okay. like my fiber. Or if it makes more sense, if it makes more sense, you can start a, with it. It's fiber. a juicy story. It's all good, and you know what? I have like I, I am an open book, and really like sharing even little, little bits and pieces and details about you know my recent last couple of years has been super therapeutic for me, and I like to think for other people too. So, um, so I was married for about ten years, mm-hmm. and in it was actually January 2020. So you're very close. I did find out that there had been like some infidelity in my marriage right like my husband had cheated on me and so it all comes back to instagram right because some random stranger like finsta dm'd me on instagram and told me like i think you deserve to know this and then oh, i confronted wow. him yeah so i confronted him and he admitted to a very small recent infidelity and you know begged to go to counseling and all that stuff and of course i was devastated i mean we had known each other we were best friends that had known each other since high school so mm-hmm. we hadn't been together that whole time but we've been you know really active in each other's lives since we were kids you know, since we were teenagers and you know we're 41 now yeah. so we tried we went to counseling and in the, about a month and a half later it came out that it was actually not like these two isolated incidents it was like dozens and dozens of oh, instances of infidelity that had dated back to when my oldest who's now 6 was like a newborn baby and it was people that knew me and like knew him and knew that we had kids and like obviously knew that we were married it was just it was really really shocking because Whoa. it was it had been going on for so much longer than I suspected. And I consider myself to be relatively intelligent and also pretty observant. Yeah. And like, I just, it's not that I, you know, in hindsight, it's like, it's not that I had no idea. It's that I really trusted that his character would not have enabled him to do something like that. Right. Not because of me or because the marriage was so great or because he loved me so much, but just because he had like more integrity than that. And like I said, we've known each other for a really long time. Right. Um, so it was, I mean, it was devastating. Was and it with I se- was several different people or just incidences with the same person? Both. Oh, <laughs> it was many different people. It was many different instances. And he furnished me with this list. Uh, <laughs> this was probably a fucking horrible idea. He sent me a timeline and I think this was something that was, should have been discussed like in a counseling environment, but instead he texted it to me and it was like multiple iPhone screens long of like this timeline of literally like every time and instance and who was with. And it was just oh, like, I mean, I went my psychotic. God. I know. How it's could not you not fun. go psychotic? I, that would feel so like such a betrayal. I mean, yes, one. Right. And our kids are two, at this time four and one. Right. So, I mean, our kids are really little. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I just went berserk. Right. Like as, as one does. Yes. Yes. As one does. Um, and then, I mean, I, 
I sort of initiated, you know, a retaliatory measure, which was, you know, I couldn't bear the idea of having to tell this story. I mean, at that now it's fine. You know, now it's been a couple of years. At that point, I couldn't even like hang with the idea of having to retell some version of this story so many times. So I thought, fuck it, let's just get it out there. Right. And so I took to my beloved Instagram, which was my personal account at the time. And I just put everybody on blast. Right. Like I posted who it was and photos of the chicks and timelines from him and screenshots. I didn't ask me anything. The thing went viral and entered his work community. And so literally thousands of people watched this, these stories unfold for 24 hours where in which I just let everything go. Um, I, I believe they call it a scorched earth campaign. So I just let it all out. And I was like, you know, I've got nothing to hide. This is the story yeah. and I'm sticking to it. Ask me anything. And they did. People did ask me anything. Um, Good for you. Wait, and- was this would be like, so it was your personal Instagram this Which, was my personal Instagram. Okay. And I had, so I've been weaving since 2014, okay. but the Instagram that I started for it wasn't until 2019. And okay. I wasn't really active with it. I didn't post old work. I posted maybe every couple of months. And so I certainly had no inclination at the time to have those overlap, right? Like I right. wouldn't have posted, at the time I would never have posted something like that on what I perceived to be like my business account, right? Because that's where I showed my weaving and my work and yada, yada. Um, it definitely, I did have some weavers, of course, that followed me on my personal account because I have been weaving for quite a long time. And I did occasionally post that stuff to my personal account. Um, and so, you know, it, there was certainly some, some trickle over and some crossover and this all happened in February of 2020. So then as we all know, in March of 2020 is when, you know, COVID hit and quarantine really went into effect. Remember the two weeks, two weeks to stop the spread. Right. It just seems like comical <laughs> now. Yeah. So that all happened like right around the same time. Right. So I turned 40 in January. I found out the extent of this infidelity and my marriage, you know, completely just ended and we yeah. separated in, in February. And then like two weeks later, we were in quarantine. Right. So that really forced me to have to reckon with a lot of shit, like in a very intense way that I, wasn't at the time and that I probably wouldn't have because there was I was just distracting myself in like every way possible right I mean we have we live in San Diego and we live in like real real near downtown San Diego so we have a pretty active life or we did at the time a really active lifestyle right we belong to the zoo and me and my little girls I mean and the children's museum and SeaWorld and we took preschool class and baby sign language and music class I mean we were I joked that like for a stay at home mom, I was like never at home because you're out like every day. And then all of a sudden that just came to a screeching halt. Right. And then also one of the hard parts was, you know, we have little kids. So we also weren't even seeing our friends. And so I kind of went into this really weird phase at the time I was smoking a lot of pot. I can assume I can talk about it. Right. I was using a lot of cannabis. Yeah. I was looking a lot of weight um, to really kind of just get me by, right? And yeah. in, in hindsight, now I look back and I'm like, you know, that was really kind of like numbing out. But at the same time, it, it helped you me get through 2020. It. So like, you needed it. I am yeah. grateful to cannabis for just getting me through 2020. Way better um, if but you weed really, than Oxy, you know? So. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. No. And I've been sober. I talk about this too. I mean, I've been sober. I quit drinking almost 10 years ago, oh, right? Okay. So that was my only vice was cannabis, which has never had nearly, you know, the negative effect on my life that no, alcohol no. did um, at a certain point later, the following year, last year, or actually this year now, I did quit because it was just, it was becoming just pointless. So yeah, now I've yeah. been like sober, sober for like seven or eight months. I'm really proud of it because I smoked job. a long way. Oh my Thank God, you. hats Thank off you. to you. Um, wait, so did your husband move out, ex-husband, move out yeah. Feb- February, like after the shit hit the fan mm-hmm. and you found yeah. everything out? He like moved out immediately? Totally. 
he moved out immediately and he moved to his like where his father lives, which is about two and a half hours away from here. Okay. So he also wasn't like local and, and isn't local. Um, we split the kids now. We have obviously, you know, a joint custody. I have them 80% of the time. He has them 20% of the time. We each drive about an hour. We meet in the middle, exchange the kids. He has them two weekends a month. Um, but at the time, especially with everything going on with COVID and there were so many unknowns, uh, we didn't see him also for like two and a half months. Yeah. So I was really like plunged into this hardcore single parenting, like really, really abruptly, yeah, you know, yeah. and also trying to kind of deal with the aftermath of my marriage and COVID and single parenthood and turning 40 and like midlife crisis stuff. Yeah. And it was all, uh, it was all really rough. It. Yeah. Yeah. When you and your husband got married at the time, cause I saw that you identify as queer now and I don't know if that mm-hmm. was that always like, were you in sort of a queer marriage or is this something that you found later? No. So, okay. So I kind of, you know, I've never been like real girly. Um, and I've only ever dated men. Like I've only ever had relationships with men, uh, like romantic relationships, but I'd had sexual experiences with women when I was younger. And I kind of identified as like hetero flexible, mm-hmm. right? Like I didn't ever perceive myself as like being in a relationship with a woman. Um, and the weird thing for me was like, not because that was like frowned upon. I mean, I grew up in Southern California. Like my brother is gay. You know, we, my mom always had gay friends. Like we always had like gay people around us and it wasn't mm-hmm. a big deal. So for me, I always assumed like if I was gay, I would just be gay. Right. Like there would be, there's no barrier to that. I mean, there's nothing like holding me back. Um, but after my husband and I broke up, you know, I, I took about a year. Um, and I did, I had this like, well, <laughs> Oh, how much of the story do I want to tell? This is this one is a little tricky because I feel like it's not exactly my story to tell. But I did meet someone via Instagram, um, and we did have like a friendship that like veered into you know a romantic and like sexual relationship. And when we met, it was a person that identified as male, right? It was a man for all intents okay. and purposes. And in the course of our friendship they came to the realization that they were in fact a transgender woman, right? Oh. Which was definitely the first time that I had like had, you know, like an intimate relationship with anybody in like that community. Um, and this was sort of a long distance thing. So we were never like together by any stretch of the imagination. But what was interesting for me is that I, if anything, that actually like, it, it was not like an, okay, well, you know, this is it for me. It was more of like an invitation to explore perhaps my own preferences uh-huh. and my own identity in yeah. a way that I don't know that I would have because I was pretty attached to this idea that like I dated men, right. Mm -hmm. That I would be in relationships with men. Um, and then about a year after my husband and I separated, I started feeling like, okay, you know, I'm kind of ready to like start dating again or what have you. And I got on, got on Tinder. Yeah, baby. (laughs) Got on Tinder. Um, you know, I was married for decades. So like app-based dating was not, was not a thing. All new. That was one of those. I have like no, you know, I never had regrets about this, but I was always like curious. I was like, shit, man, I was an early adopter of internet dating. I was a little bummed that I never got to try the swipey swipe. Yeah. Um, so then here I was, and now I'm 41 and I'm swiping for the first time. And I went on, you know, I went on several dates, like uh, they were all pretty much first dates and I, w- they were men. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, it was kind of felt like job interviews. I was like, all right, it's good to like get back on back in this habit. I mean, I had not dated in 12 years or yeah. something like that and you know I had kids and like a lot of change right? so I'm, different yeah I'm way older I'm sober now I've had two kids I had shaved my head somewhere along this journey too so I'm like bald <laughs> you know um <laughs> and you know what does dating look like for me at this age 
And then, you know, I had this, this interesting relationship with this person and then I was on, it didn't end up, you know, it, we actually ended up we don't speak anymore at all, which I'm still a little bit sad about to be honest, mm-hmm. but, um, I was on Tinder and I saw my girlfriend, now my now girlfriend, and she is a transgender woman and she is absolutely stunning. And I just love the way that she expressed herself. And so I swiped, I I never forget what the direction is, (laughs) but I swiped in the correct direction and she had swiped on me and I was like, so excited. Like it was just, I had a very different reaction even to just like speaking with her before we met in person than I had to like any of the dudes, quite honestly, that I'd gone on dates with. and so we, you know, we were texting back and forth and I was just like, I mean, I was pretty smitten to be perfectly oh, honest, like before we ever even met. Like I butterflies. Know. You had that butterfly feeling again. I totally did. Yeah. And I did, you know, like at a certain point you wonder if like that's still possible. You know, I, part of me had kind of convinced myself like, you know, I did the falling in love and getting married and having kids and like that part is over. You right. know, like now I move on to like the next juncture of my life as a crone. I mean, I'm like 41. <laughs> I'm not like 80. <laughs> but you know, the stories that we tell ourselves, right? Yeah. And so she and I, because I was obviously, you know, had to wait until a weekend that I didn't have my kids. She and I had made plans to, I had asked her out on a date, like, you know, asked this woman out on a date and I was very proud of myself. Um, and we had a date scheduled for like a couple weeks in the future, but like, we were just very excited to meet each other. So we ended up just, I mean, we still had the date, but we ended up meeting much earlier than originally planned. Oh, wow. And like, had oh, you like, so FaceTime- and then- had you FaceTimed and stuff? Like, had you been talking on the phone at all or no, just messages? No, I've never even actually we had just been sending messages we were texting because i hated opening up tinder every time i wanted to talk to her it felt so cheesy and gross um but so we'd been texting and she had she's a musician so she had sent me some of her music and she's super talented just and super i mean just a really brilliant super creative like totally one of a kind person um but she was going to her hot pilates class in my neighborhood and kind of hinted at like well i could come over afterwards i was like yeah come over afterwards and then i saw her and she was like coming up my sidewalk and i was just like it was dead like i just grabbed her i just grabbed her and like kissed her right there on the sidewalk like before we'd even really like exchanged a word um and since and we've been pretty inseparable i love it so yeah so it's my first girlfriend it's very exciting this is like my first it's weird because it's it's not my first four. I mean, it is. It's my first foray into like you know a queer relationship and a queer identity, mm-hmm. and yet it's just so natural and comfortable yeah. for me that like it's so obvious to me that like that has always been part of my identity, you know, and that I guess like there was something about it that I repressed for whatever reason that I can't identify because you know I I don't know what it was about that, but right. yeah, I love having a girlfriend. I love being a girlfriend. Um, I it's just it's just been amazing like I'm just so happy and in love and like it's so sweet and it, it it I don't have any remorse about having like waited this long to get to this point you know yeah, but yeah. I do feel like so comfortable and so much more myself and I mean just my reaction to her versus like the men that I had gone on these dates with like it was yeah. so, there was such a stark difference you know that it was like I mean if you've been an outsider you'd be like oh my god you're so gay it's so obvious <laughs> right um do you and ever so, feel like yeah. do you ever feel like part of um your addictive behaviors before ever stemmed from not feeling like you were like, you know, quote unquote another quote, another phrase that I hate, but not living your truth? You know, I think like, that do you there's feel freer probably... now in that. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, there I feel much like I say, I mean, I just feel much more myself. It feels much more, I mean, authentic for lack of a better term. Right. Mm. Um, so I think that there probably has been, you know, some element of repression. I think that there's also, you know, for me, a lot of that stuff was too, like, you know, childhood trauma stuff and not being able to reconcile that, like, I didn't in fact have like this 
super idyllic upbringing and that there was a lot that needed to be unpacked there. And that rather than have the ability to face it, you know, it was just constantly distract, 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 right? Like when I was younger, it was partying and drinking and then smoking and, you know, just whatever it was, like it was always distracting instead of being able to like really sit with it. Um, And I'm, I, you know, that's interesting. I don't think I've ever really like sat and unpacked that. I'm so certain that part of it had to do with that too. Right. I mean, I do remember the first time that I ever had like a sexual experience with a girl and I was super excited by it, but then I was also like really kind of like scared. Like, what does this mean? You know, does this mean that I'm gay? And I was like, well, if I'm gay, then I'm gay. Right. Um, and but, also, were you, you know, drunk was, during it? I was totally drunk. Right. I was totally drunk. I was never not drunk when yeah. I hooked up with girls, right? Yeah. Which I, is clearly saying something as well. And I think that part of me is like, you know, maybe I was just doing it for attention or maybe it was this, maybe it was that. No, maybe you're just bisexual or queer or pansexual or whatever we say. Like right. I say gay because I it just feels happier and easier. Yeah. Queer is another one. Like, le- I mean, I said lesbian, right? It's like lesbian TikTok is a thing. Um, pansexual, I think is probably the technical term, but that's such like a, that's a weird esoteric one that I feel like hasn't really caught on so well. So, Well, there's know, a lot of technical go- terms that confuse me. There's I mean, there's like 20 different something sexual something <laughs> that, right. that it's really so hard to discern. So all yes. Of them, all of them apply in mm-hmm. this case, um, but we can always just go with like umbrella, like gay or queer. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, in a way, like my, coming out process. I mean, I basically just told everyone I'm gay now dating a woman. She's wonderful. Here she is. Oh my God. I love it. You're so, it's like so easy. I like, I feel that like, I don't know. I don't know how to even describe it, but like your energy is so open and easy that it's like, I love it that you you don't, I doesn't feel like you're ever hiding anything, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? It just feels like very, I, I think I also became like, kind of aggressively committed to transparency as a result of, you know, this separation with my husband and stuff. Like there was just so much unsaid in our relationship, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, that after the fact I was like, I, I can't do this any other way, you yeah. know? And I, I did, I, I cut a bunch of people out that I was like, if you can't have a fucking authentic, like an honest conversation with me about what's really going on here. Like, I can't do this bullshit anymore. I just can't. If I feel like I'm in any way being gaslit, or even if we're just like keeping it so surface that we're not touching any of the important yeah. stuff. Like I just can't, I don't have the space for anything except for like full transparency because I was so traumatized by knowing that I had been so lied to and so deceived for such a long time by the person who really should have been the last one to do that. Right. Um, and again, less about me and really more about him and like his own ability to function in society. I mean, as that's one truth that I came to I was like, you know, this actually has nothing to do with me. I was going to say that was all you're living your life. Yeah, Yeah, that was was all all you. Like that wasn't a reflection on me, but that took me some time to come to. But yeah, I think that that has had the the effect of, you know, me just and sometimes, like I said, it's it's not always for the best, like just verbally vomiting it all out. Right. Like I a feel like I have nothing to hide and b anybody that I felt like I had to hide from, I wouldn't want them in my life. You know, then you don't belong here and this is not the space for you you know in my life and like like i said earlier like i am totally comfortable like not everyone is going to like me and approve and that's fine but then you then find somewhere else to be you know and like with the you know in a way i feel almost a little guilty that it's been so easy for me to just to come out if you will right because i have faced not a an iota of backlash or questions like nobody has said shit. and i mean i think also the personality like people would probably prefer to talk behind my back and direct me <laughs> to my face but like i you, you know, know i'm been, sure they're mostly supportive i mean the thing is it's like thank god it's 2021 right? and you're living yes. in california and you have an yep. open, like um it sounds like you're a very open family so i mean it's wonderful 
Yeah. And, it's been, and it's been I, really great. I mean, I'm really, really happy with her. We are very happy together. And it has been, uh, yeah, it's been really eye opening for me to be like, oh, so this, this is what it could be like. like yeah. Oh, oh, <laughs> so great. but it took me this long to get here, you know, and I kind of look at it like all the choices and stuff like we like she and I wouldn't have met and she and I wouldn't be together had not all of this past stuff happened yeah. exactly the way that it did exactly when it did. Right. So, yeah. um, in a 100%. way, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for all this, everything that led me to both, you know, these personal realizations and then this wonderful relationship that I find myself in now. So, yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. It, it is. A, it's a breath of fresh air. <laughs> oh, I'm happy for you. You're Thank living you. everything you should be right now in whatever truth that is, you know, and it's, op- I feel like it opens up your creativity in a way. And it's just, it's beautiful to see. Thank you. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's been really fun. I've also, you know, that's another one of those things like, you know, you hear from people in the DMs and sometimes they're, sometimes the stories are kind of sad and heartbreaking, right? People that don't have the ability to like be so free and yeah. open with themselves. And, you know, my DMs are always a safe space. We'll just put that out there. If anybody ever needs to talk about infidelity or bisexuality or mental health issues or addiction or sobriety or any of that stuff, like I, I really don't judge. And I have a lot of experience with all of them. So hell yeah, um, Amanda's your person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hit me up. Hit me up. So back to weaving, right? I mean, what, like so many people, I mean, I had again been weaving for six years or so by that point, but that was really what I did, you know, and I had always kind of used weaving in some respects to channel a certain amount of anxiety, like so many of us seem to do, right? Like to do something with my hands. And I find that like when I'm more anxious, I'll do stuff like warp a bunch of looms. It doesn't Mm -hmm. even take any thought process, right? But it was really like what I had was weaving. You know, I had weaving. That was the thing that I did. I mean, it was really the only hobby that I had, especially within the home. Um, and so I really started weaving a lot more and then Mm -hmm. I started posting a lot more on Instagram. And then I did start to kind of, you know, again, because there was some crossover, like some of my weaving friends also had become like my real life friends and people that followed me in my personal account. So they already knew. And I'm always probably a little too honest, like maybe like relentlessly honest at times. I mean, I think that's a form of- No, I love that. I absolutely love that though. Yeah. And so it did, it did kind of start to like bleed over. And what was interesting is when I started to like allude to this story of, you know, and it sounds, I'm not, I don't feel victimized at all. Right. It's a story. It's not the story of what happened to me. It's just the story of what happened. Right. When I started talking about what happened, it was amazing how many people came into my DMS with stories of their own. Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, people suddenly like asked me for advice where I was not qualified to offer advice, but really also just looking for somebody to relate to that could say, you know, I've been through this, I've been through this shitty thing. You know, I've been through this shitty thing too. Um, and so I think as a result of being so transparent, you know, much to the chagrin of my ex-husband and his entire family, um, (laughs) I really did. It really allowed me to open up to forming these very meaningful and valuable relationships. I mean, people that I literally consider like some of my best friends today that I met via Instagram and speak to every single day, you know, like clockwork that wouldn't have happened if I had just been like, you know, here's a weaving and, you know, this is what I use for it and stuff like that. No, absolutely. Uh, And then somewhere, I think maybe in like March or April, you actually reposted a weaving of mine that I had made. And I was, you know, pretty profoundly depressed at this point. So I was weaving kind of, I think when I look back now, I think I was weaving this very happy, like very bright and colorful. Very bright. I know which one you're talking about too. Yeah, it was the kind of ameliorating my own yeah, my own pain that I was going through. Um, and it was this big rainbow with these big knots, right? That 25 millimeter string of yours. And 
that I posted that in the welcome to weaving group, I think originally on Facebook and got like a huge response. I mean, unlike anything that I'd ever gotten before. And then I posted it to Instagram and then you reposted that. And then I just got a a windfall of of followers. And also, yeah, so that was really cool. And also I had just become really attached to like that style, you know, that very like textural style, lots of art yarn, which is, I feel like is very super common and popular now, but wasn't quite as popular then. Um, I didn't see a lot of like art yarn as fringe and stuff like that at that point, you know, and I love seeing it now. Um, but it, it did feel kind of novel at the time. And, um, you know, over time, like I don't, do the right things for social media like I don't post reels and stuff like that and I probably post on my grid like two or three times a month sometimes but I have had a pretty steady growth of followers and I it has certainly inspired me to keep weaving and you know to build a website which I did I built my website last year and I was so nervous that it was like gonna be a total flop that I launched it on Christmas day, like at night and then just posted on Instagram and like the bottom of my caption, like PS, I launched a website and then everything sold out within 24 hours. Oh my God. That's amazing. I was so shocked because I think I was, you know, I didn't want to set myself up to be disappointed. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to kind of like slide this in here and launch it then. And if anything happens, great. And if it doesn't, great. And I was like, so pumped. I mean, mean, that's a true testament to like the uniqueness of your work and how much people were wanting to, to buy it. Like probably standing there waiting for you to put them up, you know, because that is a seriously bad time to be launching something new. Like, I know. Oh my God, I know. It's so funny. Like you, you put, you put yourself in like the lowest like rung of everything and then it still went out, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. it's it's Yeah, that way I couldn't be disappointed. Exactly. Like it's Christmas night for God's sakes. No one's buying anything. Like if the universe (laughs) was trying to tell you anything, I mean, it came through loud and clear, I think. (laughs) Yeah. So since then, you know, I have, I don't really do collections. I just, and I have, and I do take commissions, but I have found that I have the most success when I'm just weaving what I want to, like when I want to, and I tend to kind of rotate, right? Like I have this big giant neutral and then I have this earthy piece and then I've been doing these really bright and vibrant, like kind of circusy looking pieces and I'll do some pastels and it's just kind of like a rotation. Like when I try to force it, it just doesn't work for me. So it really just has to kind of be like what I'm feeling at the time. And I'm obviously really inspired by amazing fibers and art yarn. And, you know, I'm so lucky to have this absurd stash of fibers and people that just send me stuff, which is amazing. Um, and yeah, and so I sell those on my website and um, the little looms, like I do a lot of my my pieces that are smaller, about six inches wide. Mm-hmm. And my dad has always made my looms for me. So oh, um, that's he, awesome. Yeah, all my looms that I use are from my dad. Like how did he one. know how to make them? And how did that happen? Well, you know, loom is kind of just a rectangle, right? Yeah, so, but, like, but look, they're a little more complicated behind you. <laughs> this is true. Okay, so the first one actually, I'll turn you a little bit. So this one right here, this it's three feet wide. This was the first loom that my dad built me. And when I, he has sort of this habit of supersizing things, unless you give him very specific dimensions. So the first time that I asked him to build me a loom, in my imagination, it was like a lap loom, right? And then my sister sends me a photo and this is adjustable. So it goes all the way down to the floor. And it's this humongous thing. I was like, are you crazy? I'm not trying to make like a rug for my living room. It took me a while to work up the confidence to like make something that large. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he makes, he has a wood shop. He lives in Baja, California. He's Mexican. He lives in Mexico. And he is like a, became a carpenter kind of in his, like he's 80 years old, right? So he's retired. Okay. And so he, he's took up carpentry um, and he makes all my looms for me. So I have like the little looms that I call a little mini rogue loom that I sell on my website. They're made out of like scrap hardwood. So it's all different mm. stuff. Sometimes it's walnut, sometimes it's alder, sometimes it's pine, just whatever's going on in the wood shop at that point. Um, 
See, and that's so, see, this is like one of the things I missed. I didn't even realize you were selling looms. So oh, I'm glad we get to talk about it here. We can get the word out about yeah, that. If I, any I other people also are. Oh, okay. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah. Feel, please feel free to visit me online. Buy um, <laughs> yeah, it's, and I don't sell like, you know, kits or anything like that. It's really just this little loom and I put it in a nice little cotton muslin bag and ship it off to you. And it's made awesome. with my, the hands, by the hands of my father. Yeah. Uh, he sounds really awesome. Cute. He sounds rad. That's oh, so great. cool. It's great. Nice. Okay. So let's take it back all the way back to 2014. And yes. how and why did you discover fiber art? Okay. So this, I mean, and I always like apologize for this in advance, which I need to stop doing because it sounds just so hokey and ridiculous, but it's true. And I literally had a, a dream that I was like sitting at this, actually about the size of the loom that he built me, this wooden loom and that I was weaving, right? Like I was weaving on this loom in my dream. And I was like, Ooh, there's something that I probably hadn't done since childhood, right? I mean, I was yeah. a pretty crafty kid, but like I wasn't, I didn't consider myself an artist as an adult at all. And I didn't have like an art practice of any sort. Um, but I, you know, got up and I was like, all right, let's Google this. And I think that it was an article from a beautiful mess. There were a couple of like early articles that came out right around that time that I feel like were kind of the impetus for a lot of us that started weaving right around that time yeah, frame. So that's like, the it was one sort of I went to, um, I think. Oh no, mine was honestly WTF. Oh, but, but they were both, it was too. like I both mean, of again, them came out at the same all time. All around yep. the same time frame. Um, and I took a picture frame, like a, you know, gold metal picture frame and popped the canvas or whatever was inside out of it and warped that up. And I, at the time, I didn't have any, I mean, I didn't crochet, I didn't knit, I had no yarn. So I was just using the most random shit from around my house. I mean, there was wrapping paper ribbon and I ripped up some clothes and there was like costume jewelry and there was, I think, some tissue paper. Oh, I mean, just awesome. like the weirdest melange of stuff that was weavable fiber um, at the time. And I made what can only be described as a placemat because that's kind of what it looked like. It was it a beautiful it was mess? A, it, was, it was a mess. It was definitely a mess. Uh, but I was super hooked. Like I felt so proud that I had made this thing, right? Yeah. And one of my best friends from college like saw a picture of it. She was like, oh my God, I need to have that. And so I sent it to her. She lived in Sydney, Australia at the time. So my very first like, weaving went to go live in Sydney which is hilarious because I feel like now I actually do make things that I consider to be really beautiful right. and this was just objectively not that <laughs> um but I was totally hooked like I said and so I that's when I asked my dad to make me the loom and the first one was really big so then I had him like downsize and he made me one that was significantly smaller and that year I also I listened to a couple people on your podcast I think I just listened to the one with fair and finer who I've been following forever and she had taken um uh workshop with Marianne Moody. So I did that too. Nice. I did a workshop in LA with Marianne Moody. And I'm pretty sure that was in 2014. Um, and then the next year she had an intermediate workshop that was down here in San Diego. So I took that as well. But I, lar I mean, I consider myself to be like largely self-taught, you know, without, with the exception of a couple of these workshops. Um, and you know, there's this cool thing called the yarn crawl they do in San Diego. And so that was really interesting for me because I had never, you know, I didn't know fiber. So I had never been to like local yarn shops You know, I'd been to Michael's and whatever, right. you know, Joanne's. Joanne's I mean, yeah. And again, at the time, like the, the internet landscape was really different. I mean, there weren't like fiber packs galore that you could just go buy from anybody. Like that wasn't a thing, you know right. I mean? There was, I, you weren't there. Right. So yeah, it was yeah, like, exactly. where did you get your stuff? I mean, so I went to like an alpaca farm and got some alpaca and then I did go to Etsy and I started ordering just stuff that looked weird and cool, like Cotswold wool locks. And I had no idea what I was going to do with them, but yeah. I just had bought this wool and 
um, just started kind of amassing, you know, more and more interesting fibers. And, you know, I took a couple of years off, like after my first kid was born in 2015, I had left, I left the workforce too, for the first time. And I was totally discombobulated with like becoming a stay at home parent. And what does that look like? Um, And I didn't leave for probably about a year. And then same thing when my second kid was born, it it was the hiatus wasn't quite that long, but I definitely took some months where I just, I think I needed to like reestablish what my life looked like and without a fiber practice. And when I came back to it, what was interesting is that I felt like really, because I was not a working, you know, working mom, um, I was really cognizant of like wanting my daughters, my children to see me like doing something else besides just momming. Mm -hmm. Right. And I mean, not that that, I mean, that in and of itself is huge. Right. But it just became really important for me to have them see me have an identity that was not associated with them. Right. And at the time they were so little, but still it was important to me. And that's when I kind of picked up my loom again and started weaving again. And then I did kind of start jumping into uh, bigger pieces, you know, like I, with this three foot loom, you can make a three foot wide weaving, which is a pretty good size weaving. Um, and I started really like finding my vibe, like my groove with these very like textured, like really texture heavy, uh, larger pieces. And I'd always kind of aspired to make larger things. Yeah. And I have, you know, I'm lucky to have someone to build me these looms at virtually no cost. I mean, this big one behind me is six feet wide. Um, awesome. And so that's where I make my really big piece and I take commissions for those and stuff. But yeah, I mean, I definitely took a lot of inspiration from people that I followed like really early on. Um, Tony Brogan, she's the Catskill Kiwi. Mm-hmm. She's like one of my favorite. I mean, I absolutely love her work. Natalie awesome. Miller, uh, Marianne Moody, of course. Um, there's this girl, I don't think she weaves anymore. Her name was uh, Lucy Posket or Posket. Yeah. She made these really she beautiful weave textural weaving. Yeah, I haven't seen her, but I never know if it's just Instagram not giving me stuff that you know, like, I don't think she weaves anymore. Uh, um, Sarah Newber was another one. I mean, just yeah, like yeah. so many really Neil Goss, like Juju Jess. I mean, people that have been weaving for a long time that not all similar styles, but there was always like this very cool, like textural element, you know, like I knew that I never wanted to weave, you know, fabric or cloth. I mean, that just didn't have yeah. appeal to me. Like I wanted to weave wall hangs and I wanted them to be big and I wanted them to look like they were like bursting off your wall. Yes. Um, and a turning point for me it, in terms of that was when I started ordering some of like your like bigger stuff, right? Like the 12 millimeter. I, know, I just went bigger and bigger cotton. and bigger. Yeah, I was delighted. I was like, oh my God, that first roll of 25, I was like, oh, I felt like a mouse because it's just this humongous roll, right? And you don't have any way of even identifying like what how big that's really going to be until you're holding it in your hands. Yep. And that was such an awesome turning point for me because it really, it was like, that was the material that I had been searching for to like build these mountains that I really wanted to build. Right. Yeah. Um, and then like I kind of alluded to, I started combining that with some art yarn and the first art yarn that I ever used uh, was from a fiber share package. I love fiber share and I, I hope that it comes back because I, I highly recommend it to everyone. And my fiber share partner had sent me like a little baby, like mini skein of designs by Amber oh, fiber so art, like good. designs by Amber art yarn. And I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe that I own this. Right. I was just freaking out. I was so excited and the first time that I used it I was like oh my god like this is so beautiful and it has so many beautiful colors like inside of it right and it was this kind of like dark it's not even my normal color palette it was like this dark brown and gray with turquoise and orange and so I went and pulled like all the matching fibers that I had and I made this piece that was three feet wide and had this kind of like color melt thing in the middle of 
the fiber coming down and I used the art yarn as the fringe, which I was like, oh God, it takes so much more. <laughs> and, you know, like, I think I so remember it. Was it almost time. like, where was it neutral? Like, mostly mm-hmm. neutral. And then there was like a pop in the middle, almost like a geode kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I totally remember it. Yeah. And I made that one. So I made that one, I think in 2019. Um, and it has one of my good friends who is actually my girl, my Girl Scout Daisy Troop co-leader. Um, she has it above her baby's area. She oh, was pregnant at the awesome. time. So she wanted that piece for her, her baby room, her nursery. And so I gave that to her. Um, but yeah, that piece, I feel like that kind of, I mean, there were a few pieces when I look back that really were like, they were hinting at where I wanted to go with it, you know? And now, I mean, the only thing that I look at for inspiration now is like old pieces of mine to kind of recreate them and see like, you know, what does that look like now in 2021? You know, that piece that I made in like 2017 or 2018 or 2019. And quite honestly, my old, old work, I mean, I don't think that anyone will ever see. I mean, you're learning, right? So you are gleaning a lot of inspiration from other people. I mean, to the point that is uncomfortable for me now, you know, and I wrote about this recently where like, I have reached out to people and like, look, I was totally biting your style and I didn't really realize it, but I'm sorry if you ever did, because it's kind of embarrassing now in hindsight. Right. Like, well, and it's, it's to- also if, if you're taking classes too, that you're learning from a specific person who has a specific style. So a lot of that work yeah. is going to look like the, that person's work oh. for a while. Because that's there what you've learned, you know? And yeah, there were, there were tassels. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There was stuff that you just don't, I mean, you would, I would be very hard pressed to ever imagine myself weaving, you know, a row of multicolored triangles. Right. Okay, but we know. <laughs> <laughs> but learned in that time frame did kind of start with that. So, of course, of course. So yeah, I mean, so, now I feel like where I am is where I kind of want to be. And I don't really know what's next. I mean, I'm thinking like a 10 foot loom might be in my future, yes. but we'll see. That would be rad. Um, wait, okay, so... I want to think back to 2014, and I don't know if you're going to have an answer for this, but that night that you had a dream, mm-hmm. if you think about your mindset during that time in your life, do you feel like there was something in particular that you felt you were lacking or you wanted to be like you wanted to be making something creative or like what was going on in your life at the time? For sure. Well, I had. OK, so I mean, well, this is going to kind of tie into my sobriety as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is 2014. My husband and I had moved up to uh, Napa, the Napa Valley in California in 2011. Okay. And I almost immediately got a DUI, like a bad DUI. And immediately to me, that was like the big wake up call because it wasn't even it was my second DUI in 10 years. Oh, and no. that was like a huge wake up call that like I, I needed to be done with this right but like it's drinking wine was country to- <laughs> like I, can, I know I right what a there's... fucked up place what I a know. fucked up place to get sober nobody is really supportive of you getting sober when you live exactly. in wine country and my husband was in the wine industry he was actually uh-huh. taking an advanced an accelerated wine and beverage program at the culinary institute that's why we lived there so I mean the timing could not have been worse but also that's kind of how it had to happen yes. right I mean yeah. I don't I wouldn't have just quit on my own like I had a you know a gnarly drinking problem and I I wouldn't have quit had it not been honestly kind of forced upon me. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had been, we ended up staying up there a lot longer than we'd planned because I had to go through the court case. I had to go through like the whole legal system mm-hmm. to deal with the ramifications of my choices, you know? And so I immediately got sober and this was also, this was in the first year of our marriage too. So it was a lot for like a marriage to handle. And I think that we'd never really confronted like the ramifications of that and mm-hmm. how different our lifestyles very rapidly became as a result of that. And I think that ultimately, you know, that I'm not going to say it caused, you know, later problems, but it definitely set the foundation for some real challenges in our communication and in our bond. Right. Because um, you became, you got sober and he was still drinking. I mean, cause he, yes. he doesn't, I, I'm assuming isn't like, it's not a problematic drinker. No, so he's, then, um, he's not an, he is not an alcoholic and I am not going to say he does not, he did not have a drinking problem the way that I had a drinking problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, um, 
and then when I look back, quite honestly, if I had gotten sober like a year before, I, I'm fairly certain that we never would have gotten married, yeah, you know, just yeah. because our lifestyles would not have been would not have coalesced. Right. And also, again, that the fact that he worked in that industry meant that it wasn't just like a it wasn't an after work thing. It was literally his whole life. Time, right. Which, yeah. you know, no fault of his own. I mean, I, and I knew that going into it, of course. I mean, I, I knew that that's what he was studying. And that's like that was his world. And then it really be quick, really quickly became like not my world. Yeah. So we ended up staying up there for a longer than we had anticipated while I got through, you know, all the legal stuff. And um, when we came back, we came back to San Diego where we're both from in 2014. Right. So it's like we were home, you know, so we came home and I was like back home. Um, I think that I don't even, I think that at the time I was still like working to get back my driver's license, to be honest, it was a long time. It was a long road and we were back. We were both working and it was like, we were back, we were settled, but like you said, I mean, something was missing. Like I didn't have a thing, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, my, I didn't have, what was your my job hobbies, at the time? At the time I was working for, um, I was working as an admin for, uh, it was a very like weird one-off job, um, for a company that sold like hearing aids and stuff okay. like that. Um, but definitely not your life's calling. <laughs> No, oh God, no, it was totally, yeah. no, not at all. It was, it was like, I needed a job really bad. Yeah. Um, before that, when we lived in Napa, I had worked in this really upscale retail environment, which was interesting because I'd never worked retail before until I was like in my thirties. And it was kind of cool. We sold, I just sold a lot of art and stationery and like $3,000 pens and like really fancy stuff in wine country. But before that I had worked in like client services, a mm. corporate account management. Like I'd always worked in like an office environment, like nine to five, Monday through Friday kind of thing. And then my husband had always worked in restaurants, right? So he was always working evenings and weekends and holidays. And like our schedules were always just a, a mess. I mean, mm -hmm. we never had the same time off together, like ever. Um, but yeah, so I came back to San Diego and we were both kind of settled and we were working and he was gone. We just had really opposite schedules. So I ended up spending a lot of time alone and like, I just needed something, right? I needed something to do. And I obviously wasn't drinking and I wasn't going out and I wasn't like partying. And we had, you know, my only hobby was my dog, which is like my great Dane, right? We were, you know, now settled and in our mid thirties kind yeah. of. And so I think that, yeah, I was looking to tap into just something that was mine, right? Mm -hmm. Like something that was just mine too. And the, the cool thing that's one of the things that I've always loved about weaving is like, you know, it really, I mean, it's obviously a lot of people's thing, right? But I didn't like, nobody foisted it on me. You know, like I really came up with it myself, like to have this be a hobby that I would pursue that would then turn into like such a passion and then also, you know, a, a job um, and like a, a work for me, which yeah. I certainly never saw coming. Um, so yeah, I think that there was a part of me, like I needed something and I didn't know what it was. And then it became weaving, right? And that gave me something to do at home and something to do in the evenings when I was by myself and something to do, you know, in the mornings. And, you know, I don't want to say like it really quickly took over my life, but I I assimilated very quickly into the world of, you know, hobby weaving, yeah. if you will. Yeah. And then relatively early on, I was actually in a neighborhood kind of adjacent to the neighborhood where we lived. And I had gone to a local yarn store where I was looking for it or something. And I happened to wander into this really cool store. It was called Make Good. And she, the lady Sophia that uh, owned it featured all handmade, like all artisanal stuff from people in San Diego and Tijuana, right? Because I live right near the Mexico border. Mm -hmm. And when I, I was just chatting with her and telling her that I was, you know, going to this yarn store because I was looking for, you know, new fibers to use in my weavings, I just started. She was like, oh, I would love to carry your wall hangings here. And I totally choked. I was like, oh my God, I'd only been doing it for, you know, a few months maybe at that time. But she was really supportive and kind. And she had me bring in all my weavings to see if she wanted to have them. And I think I had like nine weavings at the time and I brought them in and she like took them all and oh, she hung them on the amazing. walls and she sold them there. And I was so proud, but also in hindsight, like, I mean, I, these, 
Because we're not like the greatest. <laughs> no, I know you feel that, but <laughs> but you know what? I I also think that that kind of um like the reception, the positive reception to your work at the time, and even if you don't love that work, which we, I think everybody looks back at past stuff and is like, mm, could yeah, better, right? But like, but I think I also think that that is like it's it's also another message to keep going and keep doing it, you know? Because imagine had, had she taken them all and none of them sold. You know right. what I mean? Or she so had it's been like, like, oh, you know, on second thought, no, thank you. Right. I mean, it They're was doing very well. validating. Yeah. It was very validating. Exactly. <laughs> so that was real. That was a very cool experience. And she sold some and then the store ended up closing. And so I ended up taking some back. And I gave away so many weavings in the first couple of years. Yeah. I mean, everybody that I know, like literally every one of my friends and family members has at least one of my, I don't, I don't want to call them rogue weavings, right? Because I don't, I don't necessarily <laughs> want to claim ownership of them at this point. But they definitely have uh, multiple pieces on their walls. It's kind of a thing. So yeah, it, it yeah. still baffles me at some point, you know, that like I will sell these weavings for money to strangers that don't even know me and still want them on their walls. Like that's the coolest thing ever. That it is, is so the coolest cool. thing ever. I mean, it, it, has, it definitely has not like lost its luster. I mean, anytime that I sell anything, I'm like, oh my God. You know, <laughs> I think that's probably pretty common with a lot of us. But yeah. I wonder if people realize like, no, there literally is like a happy dance. You know, you get that oh, totally. notification. You're like, oh my God. I know, I know. It's the best feeling. And to complete a work too and like have them and you send them the photo, make sure everything's okay. And like, I mean, it's such a good feeling. It is amazing. Yeah. So you're, how old are your kids now? My kids are six and three. And my six-year-old is in kindergarten. So she, she was supposed to start kindergarten last year. She was right around the cusp on like the age bracket. She turned five like in August, but with COVID and, you know, here in San Diego, it was all like remote schooling Mm -hmm. and I try to keep my kids pretty low tech. So I just couldn't stomach the idea of putting my five-year-old in front of a laptop in my living room for like five hours a day. I was like, you know what, it's it's kindergarten. It's not compulsory anyway. So we kind of waited a year. So she just started in, well, the end of August, beginning of September. I mean, how did you even, I don't know how, like, I don't know how you survived the pandemic with the kids home working. I mean, essentially, you have to work full time since you're holding up everything. Right. And I honestly don't like I think about my last year and my kids were online. So at least mm-hmm. they had like the I guess it's probably cumulatively five hours where I could be in the basement packing orders doing what I needed to do. But had they not been, I mean, I, I I literally don't understand how you made Well, you know, and I feel the way about, but see, I feel that same way about like working parents, right? Like I feel like I, you know, I was so lucky and blessed to not have to put in, you know, the hours at a job while simultaneously doing that because I know right. people that had to do both. You know, I have one friend that's a teacher and so she was like, and her kid was in kindergarten and she had a, a toddler. So she had like the toddler upstairs and the nanny. She's yeah. remote teaching her classes and her kid is in kindergarten tra- remote learning. And she's doing it all at the same time every day. And I was like, oh, my it's God, just, I don't know. how." Like that yeah. to me blows my mind. Total right? chaos. <laughs> um, I feel like I was really lucky because we could just, you know, eat peanut butter sandwiches for dinner and like hang out in our pajamas for days at a time. And yeah, we weren't really leaving the house. But oh, well, you know, we weren't on a really tight schedule. And it also, I think helped me I wasn't like a helicopter parent but I really did kind of have this idea that I needed to like provide entertainment for my young kids like all the time right and I let go of that real quick you know in the first few weeks they were like here's our schedule and we're gonna do this craft at this time and this and this and I I literally had a schedule I literally did too yeah 
Oh my god! I was yeah. like, "This is going to be uh, nature time when we go walk around, and then we're going to go talk about oh the god, sticks totally, and the rocks totally. that we collected, and then we're going to look at the birds who are eating it from the bird feeder and and learn about the birds." Oh, that was gone in two <laughs> weeks. It was hilarious. Yep, that was so that is so relatable. Um, so I think that there was something good about you know I've always been a a champion of the idea of independent play, but like my kids are great at independent play now, and also the fact that they're you know they're two and a half years apart. My little one, you know, was barely had barely turned two when the pandemic started. Now she's three and a half, you know, and so they play together like exceptionally well. I also yeah. really feel for the parents of one kid because I feel like that totally. it demands so much more of you. You know, like my friends that have like one six year old that have been dealing with pandemic stuff yeah. for the last couple of years. I'm like, oh my god, that'll drive me crazy. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I'm so grateful that my kids have each other to play with, and they get along. I mean, they fight like crazy, of course, but much of the time they also get along really well, and they're lovely playmates. And like I, yeah. Never been happier to have had two kids. (laughs) And going from two to three and a half is a huge difference, too, in terms of how much you had to, like, you know, be hands on or hands off. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you've been in it. I mean, it's a lot. And then, you know, after a few months, though, I mean, there is something to be said for it. Like, I was already doing so much of the parenting, even when I was married because Mm -hmm. of schedules. And, you know, I had sort of. I sort of shoved myself in this role of like, well, you're working now and I'm not. So like, this is my job, the kids. So of course you never have to get up with a crying baby. So he never did. Um, Same boat. So really now, and I put myself in that position, right? I was like, I do it better anyway. Like, so let me just. Right. So I'm just going to do it all. Um, And now, I mean, like like I mentioned, you know, we have an 80, 20 split. So now every two or three weeks they go to their dads for, you know, it's like, two it's like almost three days and because of that quite honestly like I'm a way better parent because yeah. I know that there's always like a respite coming for me to do a reset and for me to be able to just focus on myself for those couple of days and like get you know get my head get into a better headspace if I've started getting stressed out or if I've started getting anxious or if I started getting depressed you know all of which I've dealt with my whole life um and then you know they get a better version of me when I have when I'm more rested and more myself and I did, it gave me an opportunity to, to, you know, like I went to pinners this last weekend. Oh, you did. That's awesome. Yeah. How did it go? Tell me everything. Okay. So I drove to Scottsdale to Phoenix because I didn't have my act together to buy a plane ticket, which would have been so much faster. It's like a five and a half hour drive. So like, it's a bit of a trek. Um, but I drove out to Phoenix. I stayed with my friend, Audrey. She's at got Weaver fever. She oh, is I a know. Weaver. Yeah, and a, yeah. yeah, I met her on Instagram and we've hung out in real life too before. Um, we have, not a very, not a super similar story, but we're both divorced with two kids and custody and stuff like that. So we have a lot in common in that respect. I stayed with her, which was really fun. Um, I got to meet Ashton, Ashton Zager, oh, Fiber Art, of course. Yeah, we went out to dinner with her and her mom, who was with her. Um, I took her round weaving class. It was oh, my awesome. first pinners. So, of course, we, you know, combed through absolutely everything. And, you know, I bought some stuff and I made some stuff and took some classes and kind of like got the whole, you know, got the whole pinners experience. And then I drove back home and, you know, I picked up my kids the next day and had little gifts for them, stuff oh, that I bought them. And yeah, it was really fun. And I wanted to go for a while and just had gotten it together to go so yeah so those are things that would require a lot more orchestrating right, right if I was right. also had kids in tone you know I frankly I wouldn't have made I wouldn't have driven 10 hours in two days yeah. with two little kids no of course not yeah. um so it does allow me certain freedoms and yeah it was really fun and it was fun to meet Ashton of course I followed Ashton forever like oh we all have I mean yes. I've been very inspired by her work like I actually owe a lot of like my current style you know it's not derivative of hers but things that I learned from her right about building texture and tying knots and like how to make that work like just logistically speaking um and I mean how I I I genuinely love her like how could you not love her right she's she's amazing she's great 
yeah, yeah. she's wonderful so yeah um so uh, can we talk about your sobriety not so much mm-hmm. alcohol sobriety just because i think it's been so long so you know it's yeah it seems just much more in the past maybe but now that you have these like uh weekends with no kids and and you've quit pot like i don't know because here here's what i think if i didn't have a weekend with my kids i would just get stoned and like and especially without the husband too and just like whatever what like we're i guess we're yeah get stoned and work on the art well, or one thing when I quit smoking, TV. yeah, when I quit smoking, I was like, fuck my creativity, you know, like, yeah, is, are these things you wrapped scared up? about that? Yeah, I was totally scared about that. I was totally scared about that because to me, they, they were just very strongly related and that, you know, I would smoke and then that would, I mean, at a certain point though, again, like for me, it was a quantity thing. Like my, my usage was so high that the reason that I quit was because I'm like, this is not doing shit it's not doing anymore. anymore you know? right, right. It's not doing anything anymore. And I'm kind of like lying to myself and telling myself that it's, you know, helping my anxiety. And I don't think it's helping my anxiety. Mm-hmm. If anything, I think it might be exacerbating at this point. Cause I'm constantly like worried, like I'm a drug addict, you know, and that's not helpful. And it wasn't really the example that I wanted to set for my kids. I mean, I'm always very honest with them. So they were familiar with cannabis and they knew what it was. I mean, I wasn't like taking bong rips in front of my children, obviously, but right, you know, right. they, they were not completely unaware. Um, so all of those things together, it was really more, more than anything. I mean, I, I love weed. I love cannabis. I think it's so helpful. I think that more people should smoke weed and less people should drink alcohol and like totally. the world would be a better place. You know, you don't see people like getting stoned and like beating their wives or like dr- drunk driving. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's so, it, it feels like so helpful for so many people for myself though. I don't know that I believe necessarily in this concept of like an addictive personality so much as like, I tend to like latch onto things and then just go for it. Right. Mm-hmm. So if I thought that I could like moderate my cannabis usage, I totally would, but I don't know that I could. So mm-hmm. for me, like just going like full stop was kind of felt like the only way that I could do it because yeah. I had tried to tell myself, okay, well, you know, I'll just wait till evening or just wait till the kids are in bed. And then quite honestly, being home all the fucking time because of COVID, it was like, why am I, I mean, who cares? Yeah, I know. What's you know, the like, point? We're exactly. just home anyway. What's the point? Um, it was also getting expensive, quite honestly, because like cannabis can get expensive. Yeah. And, you know, the availability here in California, it's so easy, right? I mean, there are delivery services like crazy. You just, you know, pull up your phone and type in whatever kind of edibles you want and tinctures you want and drinks you want and flour you want. And then in 30 minutes, it's delivered to your door. It's the easiest thing. It's like faster than getting a pizza. Right. So, (laughs) so what I did, I think this was in February of this year, February or March. Um, I had a friend of mine that was uh, like a mom friend that I'd actually met when I was pregnant with my oldest. Her name's Kayla. She's wonderful. She's at Designs for Loving. She's like an intuitive kind of a healer person. And she's been sober for a long time. And I asked her if she would be like my sobriety coach, kind of like, and it might, like I needed more than just like an accountability person. Like I needed somebody that I was like literally indebted to. I was like, I'll pay you, you know, like how much do you want me to pay you to be this for me? Because like, I can't do this by myself in my mind. I can't do it by myself. I need some like outside help. Um, and I was like, you know, a zoom, NA meeting is like not the thing that was not going to work for me. You know, I'm home with my kids all the time. So she was really generous and she was actually really excited to kind of put together a program for me. And it was really more like a program of accountability where she would check in with me always remotely, right? Like via text or what have you and ask me questions, you know, like on a scale of one to 10, like how, how bad was your desire to smoke today? And in the beginning, of course, it was like 10 and a half. Um, <laughs> and what did you do instead? And how did you feel afterward? And what can you do? You know, just planning uh, yeah. things, right? Like, 
I follow, I mean, to digress a little bit, like I follow the holistic psychologist, Dr. Nicole LaPera, like I'm totally obsessed with her work. It has absolutely changed my life in the last couple of years. And there was an element of that, what she calls like future self journaling, right? Like mm-hmm. you're, you're promoting this idea of your future self that you want to be right. Not necessarily just beating yourself up on reflecting, you know, on your past mistakes, but reprogramming your brain to be more aligned with what you want to be in the future, not like what you are right now. Right. And how right. you want to be. And I, so I had Kayla do that. And re- there was part of it, I think, for me that was like once I made the very serious conscious choice to be like, I'm done with this, that I I was mentally ready to be done with it. And I got rid of all my paraphernalia and stuff and, you know, bongs and pipes and all that stuff, you know, out the door. Um, and Did you do it like ceremoniously? Was, Did you like or was it just like um, like was there one day where you just like it's all going? OK, so I think that Kayla, because she's more, you know, into healing and stuff was like more encouraging for me to do it in a more like ceremonial way. And I, I did and didn't, I mean, I didn't like, I, I could have, and I didn't really, you know, it's yeah. more like I packed it up and I actually gave it all to my ex-husband. Cause I was like, I don't want to smash these beautiful <laughs> right. bombs. But, like, these were, these were expensive and handmade. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, totally. Right. This is art. Um, and so I just passed it on to somebody that w- I knew would use it. Right. And, and he does. Um, and then that was it. And so the first couple of months were, I mean, it was just, it was a really, it was a strong habit of mine. Right. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, the first few days and weeks were totally challenging. And then, you know, I got to a month and I was like, hell yeah, I made it to a month. Right. And then we started checking in a little bit less. Like it wasn't a daily check-in, you know, and I still like kept her, I I still kept her as like my accountability coacher. I'm not not sure what exactly we called it, but she ended up actually helping a few other people with the same thing. Cause I posted about it on Instagram. Right. And I posted about it in my stories how long it had been. And I connected some people that were struggling with the same thing with Kayla and she was able to help them as well. Um, and then after a couple of months, I was like, you know, this is now kind of part of my identity, you know, in the same way that like, I don't drink, like now I don't smoke anymore. And, um, it did not in fact, like kill my ability to create fiber art. I mean, it, there, there are times when I kind of wonder, and I do kind of miss it. I mean, I don't have, like you said, with drinking, it's been so long, but that's just not in my brain's vocabulary anymore. Right. Like that's not something I miss, but I do miss smoking weed. And like, I do, there's part of me that wishes that I knew that I could like moderate myself, but I don't, like I said before. So, so I just haven't gone back to it. Um, but yeah, it has been, it's the other thing that has been kind of a side benefit. You know, I always, it was really weird for me, like sobriety because I mean, I think sobriety technically by definition means that you are not drinking alcohol, but I felt very, disingenuous calling myself a sober person or even talking about my sobriety when I was smoking weed all the time. Right. Cause I wasn't sober. I mean, I was baked a lot of the time. Right. And so I, I was very careful to not identify that way because like I said, it felt disingenuous, yeah, you know, yeah. like I wasn't really sober. I just I don't wasn't think, drinking. I'll be honest. I don't think, I think when <laughs> I don't think anyone's fully sober and I don't mean, <laughs> I mean, here, like, I mean, that, no, I drink so much coffee. <laughs> no, but, and not even that. I mean that e- I think everybody has an addiction to something. So it ha- it comes out in some way or another. Like you can be a dry drunk and not right. be a pot smoker. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I feel like there are, and not everyone. Okay, fine. There are some very well-adjusted people. Fine, I guess. <laughs> and you're fucking boring. But, um, but everyone has something that needs to, that you kind of need to just like get whatever out or whatever, numb, numb out however you're going to do it. You're going to shop. You're going to, go on Zillow and imagine your next life in your next house. Like everyone yeah. has something, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. who knows? Sobriety, <laughs> sobriety. And yeah, like it, it's great. There's the no substances. It's like, it's so healthy, you know, it's physically healthier. Absolutely. You know, but um, yeah, we've all got something. <laughs> we totally do. I mean, for me, I also, you know, I, like I was 
listening to your interview with Farron and so much. And I was like, oh my God, that's so reminiscent. Like, I feel like we have been on kind of like a similar path. Um, And, you know, I did also in this last couple of years discover, you know, like trauma work, right. And, you know, healing and holistic psychology and things that, and I used to be really, really cynical and really, excuse me, like just super negative. And I, I assumed that that was part of my personality, right? Like Mm -hmm. I am a cynical person. I am a negative person. Like I am a pessimistic person. So obviously those were kind of self-fulfilling prophecies, but they were also really elements of my personality that I thought were honestly just like ingrained, you know, Mm -hmm. like some people are happy people and then some people are kind of bitchy people. (laughs) Um, And to kind of discover that that's not in fact true and that a lot of those things are just patterns, right? They're just patterns of behavior and patterns of thought that we have developed as coping mechanisms or survival mechanisms, largely from our early childhood experience. And that in the same way that those things were programmed, we could also like deprogram ourselves or give ourselves a new program. Like that, it feels so simple now. Like I say that I'm like, God, yeah, that took me 40 years to come to, but I didn't quite understand it until this last couple of years when I was really sort of thrust into you know, solitude that wasn't really solitude because I had, you know, young lives to, to take care of, but also, you know, a lack of distraction, you know, a lot, not go, 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 you know, activity, activity, activity Mm -hmm. all the time, but to really have to sit with it and to find myself for the first time in much of my adult life, like without a partner, you know, even somebody that I kind of like low key hated, you know, still a partner, it's still like an adult companion. Um, and really faced a lot of that stuff and kind of came to this really beautiful realization, right. That it didn't have to be this way. And like, Mm -hmm. guess what? Like I, I was capable of change and of like reprogramming and of tapping into things that, you know, were really difficult for me. You know, I used to, I worked really briefly with, you know, this lady that was into kind of like life coaching and we were talking about, you know, like what we aspired to. And she was talking about joy and like, I couldn't barely even say the word joy without like just cringing. Right. Like it just made, you know, like I was like, God, that sounds so fucking hokey. And then I was like, it's God, like blessed. Is- <laughs> like joy yeah, and blessed like both is- do that oh to me, God. even though I'm like, that but is- there's no other word for it for me. It is truly like, I do feel blessed. I'm very grateful, I but I hate saying it. I, I the same, right? And it I means she was talking about, she's like, you know, this is what I see when I see you is like I see this joy. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I mean, I couldn't I, I just couldn't even fathom that that I could yeah. even like say that that was something that I wanted or that I that I experienced in life without just feeling so cynical about it. Um, and it it was upsetting in a way, right? You know, I was raised, you know, I had this like upper middle class, like upbringing and I went to private school and I played soccer and I was a Girl Scout, I mean, all these things that, you know, on the surface made it, you know, look like I had a fine childhood and right. all this stuff. But of course we all have stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, my, my, my mom dealt with a lot of, you know, mental health issues of her own in ways that, you know, maybe you just dealt with that stuff back then. Um, I've dealt with mental health issues of my own, you know, I've been diagnosed with depression and ADHD and bipolar disorder and, you know, this myriad of issues. Mm -hmm. Um, But I see a lot of the behaviors now as, you know, just just reactions and survival techniques. And now that once you see that, you know, once you become like the wise observer of your own thoughts instead of your thoughts themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Like Eckhart Tolle style, um, then you realize that you're able to change those things and that you can learn like new and better ways of communicating. And I spent many years like not reading at all, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm an avid reader. Like I have a stack of books tattooed on my ankle because I think you should get tattooed with things you love. Oh, and like, I, love I didn't that. read for like years. And I started reading again, right? So I read, you know, The Body Keeps the Score and Adult Children of Emotionally Something Parents and Dr. Nicola Perez's book, How to Do the Work. 
um, you know, unconditional parenting. So like this myriad of parenting and mental health and like self-help books. Um, Dr. Joe Dispenza, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself is just an awesome one, right? And it really helps to, you know, to fortify the, this very real um, process of rewriting yourself, yeah. right? Forging new um, neural pathways. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. I didn't believe in that. You know, I thought that, that was like really hooky bullshit until I actually started looking at it and kind of out of necessity. Right. And found that like there was a lot to be said for that. Yeah. And, well, I think in our the, 20s, we don't have a reason to um, need to examine this kind of thing in our life for the for, for the most part. You're I think we're distracted in a different way. Your brain is still young. You're just experiencing life, you know, and trying to figure out who you are. And then finally, like in our 40s, I feel like, and I don't know if it's because of age or if it's this, it's a collective, um, like a collective consciousness that ev- the society is going through with, with like advancement in science and observation and understanding our brain better. Like, I feel like all of it's coming together at this point where everyone seems a little bit more self-aware, you yes. know? Agreed. Like my parents' generation, for sure not. And they're never going to be, you know, it's <laughs> <No>. like. <laughs> my dad, bless him. Like, I, I mean, he loves me and supports me dearly, but I know he thinks I'm so full of shit at the same time. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I know. They don't really, I don't think they all fully understand us ever. Um, even if they wanted to and tried, I just think it's like a different approach mm-hmm. to like understanding ourselves. And yeah, there's just, I know for my parents, there's no real self-awareness. Like they're in their 70s now, but, and they're, I guess my mom's trying a little, but not great. Not great at it. I think that's, she's still, that's relatable. She's still really naggy, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, God, it's so amazing to hear your story. Um, so with your kids, do they, uh, I mean, I guess the little one is, pretty little but does your six-year-old like try to weave with you or anything she i mean they're helpful ish and they both have little looms and like there's a little warped loom here and she hasn't done much with it um they they don't love it yeah no i know i tried with my kids too they they did like one row and they're like okay cool we're gonna go can we play ipad now I think I've done a great, such a great job of making that my thing that they're like, oh, that's like mom working. Right. Right. You know? And I mean, what you see here, my studio, like what I'm looking at is a frozen castle that's four feet high and a play kitchen and an easel and an art cart and a dollhouse. Right. Like this is our shared space where in which we play and I work, you know, weave. and of course let's get real. I weave all over the house and they play all over the house too. Um, So it's definitely something that we do side by side and they like fiber, right? They, of course I get a lot of yarn in the mail. And so they're always very, enthused about that although you know my older one's like more yarn but then they like to open it up with me and see it and they have like kid friends that are my friends kids right like one of my best fiber friends is amanda mclennan wild juniper fiber art in in abu dhabi yeah yeah we talk every single day um and her daughter is a, like a less than a year younger than my daughter so i mean they will like send little videos back and forth to oh, each other awesome. right so and we send we send gifts across the seas for both the kids it's really cute so they i mean they i feel like they're very supportive as supportive as a six and a three-year-old can be without really feeling that that call you yeah, know yeah, um, yeah. we'll see if it ever if it ever comes in my my younger one or my older one rather is super creative though she does she likes painting and she likes drawing and she likes constructing and she likes clay and she likes making string like string art i mean she just constructs the most wildest stuff she takes like all the cardboard boxes and makes them into these cool like towers and structures and awesome. she is super creative and you know my younger one she's three so she's kind of along for the ride but um yeah i know, think whether or not you kn- you know it it is it is 
planting little seeds in there that when they get older, they're going to go, because who knows, there's, there might be some other giant fiber art wave that happens in 20 years and they're going to go, you know what? Yes. Let's hope so. Let's to hope, do this. Let's hope I'm still around for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's in there. It's in there. But, you know, you were mentioning like you wanted to make it that they saw you do something other than, you know, quote unquote, just being a mom. And we're not saying that in a negative way, but yes. Right. And I think that's so healthy because, you know, I, my mom was a stay-at-home mom and she had hobbies and stuff, but she very much, I think, placed her her identity ba- based on how my sister and I turned out. And it was it's a lot of pressure, I think, for a kid to feel like we have to be your manifestation or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's It's too much. Totally. And I was having this conversation with a friend of mine last night. She has seven kids. <laughs> and it was, I know. And, um, I know. And it was, it was interesting to see her... Um, the way she approaches them all differently based on their each of their personalities and stuff. And she's like a type A, crazy achiever, go-getter person. So I kind of expected that she would be that way with her kids. And then she was talking about the way that she approached two of them who, who aren't like so academically inclined. And she's like, you know, I know they're probably not going to go to college and I'm okay with that. Like they're still going to succeed and do something. And, um, and I was just thinking for me, and even being Asian, I think like we, we tend, like Asian people tend to, play so much on like you have to go to Ivy League da, 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 da. and I'm like you know with one of my kids I think I'm off the hook on that because I it's, he's not gonna go to an Ivy League but um, <laughs> but also I don't know I'm kind of rambling but I know I just had this realization that I was like I feel so much freer now because I'm so I'm so consumed very much and sometimes I feel guilty about it that I'm so consumed with my own life and my own interests that I don't push onto them any anything crazy like that I I have no real expectations of who they have to become in the future because I have my own thing and that's what like I feel like people moms kind of need that you know in order to actually just have boundaries you know so I don't think that's selfish at all I think it's really healthy and I think it enables them to find their own interests without being you know like you said like pushed into them um you know I read something recently that was like why my kids don't do after school activities. I think it was the, the mom of the, the busy toddler or something. And mm. she had written, written this article and I was like, Oh my God, that's so validating. Right. Because especially at this age, like you're, I don't want to pick stuff for my kids necessarily. You know, yeah. I, want, I want to see like how they unfold kind of like you're saying and, and what they're drawn to. And I, I love the fact that, you know, your kids I'm sure are the same way that they see, you know, a creative endeavor as being a viable choice for them. Mm-hmm. Right. In a way that a lot of kids may not, you know, yeah. especially what with like how, far we've fallen with arts fundings and stuff in school nowadays, you know, that you may just not really be exposed to that. But I I feel you on that one. I mean, I was definitely, I don't want to say like overparented, but you know, there was a lot of involvement. Yes. Um, (laughs) And I think that being able to find, you know, let them find their own path and let them figure out what it is that they are really attracted to and not what we want them to be attracted to or what we expect of them, whether it be, you know, academically or even on an extracurricular basis. I mean, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm agreeing with you because I, I I feel, I do the same thing with my kids. Right. But it feels like the healthier option. Yeah. You know, signing them up for piano lessons when they're three. I mean, I, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, someone's got to be a brilliant pianist. <laughs> right, right. Well, no, we expose them. It's not going to be my kids. Yeah, <laughs> like we have to expose them to things. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's actually like this year I, I started getting my kids into piano because they asked me to. My younger one said, can I take piano lessons? And like all yes. this time I'd been feeling guilty. Um, it, I swear to God, it's like Asian guilt. Why aren't my kids playing an instrument? And I kept thinking about it. And I think, and I just kept, but we were busy with other activities. So mm-hmm. I just never brought it up. And then they, he was like, can I take piano lessons? Will you hurry up and sign me up for piano? He just kept asking. And I was like, 
that's my sign. There we go. And now he loves it, you know? And the other one just See, does it reluctantly, but whatever. <laughs> well, one of the things, you know, another kind of lesson that I got from the pandemic, you know, I had mentioned that we were so like busy, busy, go, 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 all these activities and stuff. And I, I kind of realized real quickly that that was largely for me, you yeah, know, like yeah. it was all kids stuff, right. Yeah. That we were doing, but it was largely for me because my kids, in a way, I'm, I feel very grateful that they were at the ages that they were when everything happened mm-hmm. because they'd never been to school. So it's not like they were missing school. You know, they did miss their friends, but not as much as you would think. I no, mean, these yeah. are little kids. They're not really, they're not enmeshed in their friend groups and stuff like that the same way that older same. kids are. Quite honestly, my kids were pretty happy to be at home. Like mm-hmm. I th- I was the one kind of chomping at the bit because I was used to going out and doing, you know, all this stuff yeah. that was ostensibly for them. But also, as it turns out, was a lot for me. And so that was a big eye opener for me that like they didn't miss going out and yeah. doing stuff, you yeah, know, I didn't and either. they were pretty I mean, and I was like, you know, I'm lucky they're little like they, they still want to be around me. You know, these weren't teenagers was like, oh, my God, get the fuck out of here. You know, we have a small house. So we're like pretty on top of each other. But they loved that. You know, yeah. they were not like they didn't feel like they were really missing out. I mean, there were certain things, of course, but like few and far between. I mean, much less than I would have assumed if you told me, hey, you're going to be at home for a year and a half. Right. I'm like, oh my God. Um, they were pretty happy about it. And, you know, they are kind of forming, like I said, their own interests. And that is reassuring for me that for I, sure. I'm really not like foisting anything on them. And I wonder if I might have done that had we not sort of been forced into staying at home as much as we did. So yeah. it has been a really interesting learning experience. I mean, I, I have been really fortunate, you know, in as much as like, I, I don't have to worry about feeding my kids, stuff like that. Right. And I don't have to like work outside of the home. Like I, I'm, super lucky in so many ways. Um, and I have, you know, learned a lot about myself and parenting and letting it, letting things go and not scheduling the day. And it's okay if we stay home all day. I mean, I swear before pandemic life, like if we were home all day, somebody was sick. Like that would have been the only instance in which we didn't leave the house. Cause yeah. I would have just been like, Oh my God, I'm going to go fucking crazy. Yep. Uh, and now you know, my kid, my kindergartner, our her school is literally a block away. So we walk her to school every morning and then Aww, we walk to go so get nice. her in the afternoon. It's so awesome. Um, and yeah, I've, I mean, I've become, like a happy homebody, a lot mm-hmm. more of a happy homebody instead of being like, you know, forced into this like panic. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot, I have a lot to be grateful for. Yeah. There's that word again. <laughs> no, it's true though. And you got to re- remember that stuff when you're feeling like, you know, there's a lack somewhere or if you're, you know, getting preoccupied with the things we don't have, you just have mm-hmm. to come back and think about the things that we do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you had a five year dream goal plan for your weaving career, what would you love to see happen? Okay. So I really would love to take, continue to take large commissions because mm-hmm. I really enjoy working on this large, you know, six foot plus scale. It is like absolutely like my dream come true. Um, I would love to have like a commercial, some kind of something in a commercial space, right? Mm-hmm. Like hotel, airport, something like that, because I just think that is so cool. And I just love the idea of so many people being able to see it in person. Yes. Uh, I really am interested in kind of making the leap from online to in person, mm-hmm. right? Um, I actually just submitted this over this past week for my first solo exhibition. It's this juried art exhibition in a coastal community called Encinitas. It's in North County, San Diego. Uh-huh. And they feature the work of, they, fe- they rotate individual artists, two-dimensional and three-dimensional in three of their public spaces. One is their library, which is absolutely stunning. It has just this panoramic view of the Pacific Ocean. It's up on a hill. It is so beautiful. Oh, so cool. um, 
And then one is, I think, their city hall, and the other, I think, is their chamber of commerce. Nice. And so it's, yeah, it's the the deal is awesome. There was no entry fee. They don't take any of the commissions. You get 100% of your sales oh, of that wow. work. And yeah, it's on. It shows for two months at a time in those various locations. So I'm supposed to hear back from that on December by December 6th. And I'm like really, really, really hopeful. I have to have between 15 and 20 pieces. I was going to say, which but is solo shows, yeah. It's a lot of weavings, but um, well, you've got a really good start. I mean, if I see behind yeah, you, <laughs> fortunately, my sales have been really slow lately, so I got a whole bunch of weavings that I can put up. And now I'm kind of like, I'm sort of pausing on listing anything, which is, of course the timing is terrible because the holidays. But I really want to be able to have like 15, you know, good pieces yeah. that I would like to show. Um, so I would really, I mean, that that would kind of be the dream for me, right? Would that be that I'd be able to show in galleries more than one, hopefully, um, mm-hmm. and then also take commissions for larger pieces. And then I would like to go larger. I mean, I don't, I don't literally have the space for it here. Maybe if I just flop the room around. Um, but I do think that like my next, my next loom project for my papa is going to be a 10 footer because I would like to go 10 feet. That would be so cool. That would be really cool. So right now the piece that I'm working on is a commission for a lady who lives in Maryland. So this one's going to go traveling across the U S I think that what we're going to do for the hanging is actually have her hang it herself so that I can make the package smaller. Cause I can't really wrap my mind around like, oh, what nice. shipping something that size looks like. Uh, the other big pieces that I've made, one has gone to my sister in San Francisco. And so she drove it up. One has gone to, um, my brother owns a recovery clinic and, uh, like a spiritual and oh, wow. actually drug rehab clinic in Rosarito in Mexico. So he came and pulled and picked that up. And so that drove there. Um, my other one lives on my girlfriend's wall. So that's like five minutes away. So, I mean, we took that in our cars. Um, but yeah, the, lo- the logistics of shipping a massive piece, like still kind of make my head explode a little bit. Yeah. So I've got to definitely get better at that, that side of it. But yeah, I really no, want to I- continue to make big pieces. I think the biggest one I've done was eight or 10 feet. So it was like on an eight or 10 foot branch. It must have been a branch mm-hmm. or a thick dowel, super thick dowel. And it's not as hard as you as you think. The only scary part is that is that it, it could break more easily. Oh my God. Yeah. So th- that's the scariest <laughs> part. Like it's not even scary to pack it up because it's like you right. just get a long box. Okay. They have them. Okay. It's, it's whatever. You can get them from whatever you line or which I I hate shopping from them, but I do it because I'm sorry okay. they're quick. But um, <laughs> they have the most box selection. But um, um, you pack it up in a large, you know, in a long box. But the thing with the breaking is I would just put an extra stick in it to have it have support. Okay. Like just you can like wrap something around it to keep it like more solid. Okay. That makes sense. So mm-hmm. that's the only thing. But everything else, don't even be afraid of it. It is. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It got long boxes. Well, then and also UPS the condition that they're in when they get there, because it's not, you know, my pieces yeah. are really chunky yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm like this one, I'm not even sure what it's going to look like. I've got some of your, um, this big giant rope yeah, in there. The 20 so, millimeter. Yeah. yeah. That I'm like, mm-hmm, that I'm weaving in. And so it's like really super dense. I'm not sure how and it's going to be heavy. Yeah. It's going to be heavy as shit. I yeah. Know. But it's, it's all right. It's good practice for me. It's so, good. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'd like to do. I'd like to do big pieces. I'd like to do a commercial space and I'd like to do some gallery stuff. Um, Did you, you know, did you hear, um, sorry, go ahead. ahead. (laughs) I I was going to say, I don't, you know, I like making smaller pieces because I like the accessibility and I like being able to, you know, I don't ever weave a piece from start to finish. I've never done that once, but I like something, you know, it's nice to finish something in a couple of days as opposed to a couple of months. I am super slow too. That's the thing. Like I do not weave like start to finish. I have six projects going at once. And yeah, that's amazing. Actually doing like the many at at one time. I, that's one thing I couldn't do. It was like, yeah, I've never done like batch work. you know, I don't, I know that weaving 
falls has this very interesting and there's a lot of different theories about this and i want to be careful with the words that i use but this kind of interesting intersection between art and craft right right? and i i can appreciate the craft and i can appreciate the art and i would i I kind of hope to migrate more toward the artistic side of things you know i mean i and again i want to be really careful with this like i i don't want to make like ornaments and things like that you know I think they're great I love them I own a lot of them I have so mm-hmm. many woven ornaments on my tree but that's like that's just not the direction that I hope to go right. um, I also don't think that teaching is really for me I mean I offer another something else that I offer on my website that I've absolutely loved actually I don't want to knock it it's, it's been a really good opportunity has been like mentor sessions mm-hmm. um, where I basically offer you know half an hour or an hour of my time to generally newer weavers but actually some really experienced weavers that just want to talk about weaving and help me show them stuff you know yeah. I mean I I feel like I I'm pretty visible out there and I don't really want to like give away all my secrets like I'm not going to just like step by step you on how to make my exact weaving right. because that feels like kind of shooting myself in the foot yeah but at the same time like if you're really serious and like you want to take the time to like talk with me one-on-one like that's I that was something that I was inspired to do last year on the you know this time I think and that felt very scary, but at the same time, like I, I don't have a lot of them, but I do have a few of them and mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I mean, here's an opportunity and in those sessions, right. I will tell you absolutely everything and I will warp a loom with you and I will, you can, I'll show you how to do a big knot yes. step by step. Um, and I'll tell you all about how I choose my fibers and all that stuff. Um, oh, that's awesome. But, I love yeah. that you're doing that. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a great really way to connect fun. to and like make a new friend and, you know, Totally. And, you know, weaving for a lot of people is a pretty like solitary craft. Right. And then I don't like, I don't, I mean, I do now have like friends in real life that I've met from Instagram that are weavers, but I didn't have like real life weaver friends that I just knew, you know? So the very first time I was so super nervous to get on zoom with somebody. I was like, Oh my God, I'm not qualified to do this. Like, who do I think I am kind of thing. But it was so fun to just sit there and chat fiber stuff with somebody who was just as excited about it as I was for like literally the first time. In person yeah. <laughs> like we can both like that, nerd right? out. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I always say I'm like, I kind of get more out of it. I feel like than other people, but I mean, I, I hope that it's you know worth it for other people, but I'm yeah, sure. that, that is one other thing <laughs> that I offer, but I don't see myself doing like teaching, teaching, yeah, yeah. you know, like a Marianne Moody style teaching or like, you know, writing an ebook or anything like that. I mean, there's so much great information out there if you want to learn to weave and then mm-hmm. if you want to learn to weave like me you can book a little one-on-one session with me and we can do that um and then but yeah like crafting and I mean fiber and stuff like I just don't want the logistics of like having to hold on to so much fiber that it takes to like run a fiber business yeah and the other thing that that kind of lets me do too you know I mean Instagram's a funny landscape right like I have definitely gone in some like Instagram cat fights I'm not proud of it but you know I tend to speak my mind and that I feel like I'm able to do that because I don't, I'm not a supplier, right? Like I don't, (laughs) I don't have to like be nice to everybody because I want them to be my customer. Like 98% of the people that follow me are never going to like buy anything from me. Right. And that's fine. I mean, I'm totally, or they are because of your outspokenness and or those, that 2%, you're right. They are. But yeah, it does give me what I feel like a certain amount of freedom because I'm not, I don't have to like try to placate people because I need to sell them, you yeah. know, fibers to make their weavings with. I mean, yeah. I, I get to, I can kind of be an asshole and like, and I can also speak my mind, right? I mean, there are things that I feel very passionate about. Like I am very passionately pro-choice. I am very passionately like gay rights and transgender rights. Like I'm very passionately a lot of these things yeah. that I know can be potentially polarizing uh, and that's okay for me. I mean, I kind of look at it like if you were 
the kind of, I mean, and I posted about this once I was driving by a Planned Parenthood and there were these anti-abortion protesters out there, you know, waving their signs and just being really abusive to people that were yeah. seeking healthcare. And I straight up posted, I was like, if this is something that you would ever consider doing, like, please unfollow me right yeah. now. Like I would yeah. never want my art on your walls, you know? And I know that not everyone's going to love that about me and that's okay. Like I can live with that. I also kind of feel like we're not here on earth to like make everyone like us. Yeah. And if everybody likes us, like, something's going something's a little wrong yeah maybe maybe something is a little weird yeah right um and yeah and i don't think that sometimes i definitely put my foot in my mouth i mean i i'm like you know back off back off the ground back off the ground it's not that serious it gets Um, tricky i i like love that you said that though because i i think it's taken me a long time to figure out what i'm doing in the space because because i started out more as an artist and I could be outspoken mm-hmm. a while ago, but now I don't feel like I can anymore. And it tur- it makes me go inward. Like it makes me like hop off Instagram completely. Cause I'm like, I, I can't say anything. Or if I, if I say something, it's going to upset. So I don't know. Like, so I've just been like rendered paralyzed in a lot of situations because, and That's then I'm hard. also like, I but mean, I'm also I, like, I would people be the aren't, same way if yeah. I were you quite honestly. It's I like, mean, you would have to toe a, a line carefully because you know, you're a huge supplier and like you have a huge audience that is, you know, putting food on your table, you know, like yeah. I, I would definitely, I know that I would approach it differently if my business model, I mean, I say that very loosely, my business model were different, you know, right. um, Ugh, I hate but, it though too. I mean, I really do. I'm like, I, I want to be more open, but then I'm like, Ugh, but no, uh, uh, it's too scary. It's too scary. It's too risky. I totally I don't get know. it. But I totally man, get it. I'm so thankful for people like you who like the true real artists out there who can really, <laughs> you're, you're the, I mean, you exist in order to speak your mind and, Get, put the right messages out there, you know, or put your message out there so that people can um, feel something from your art and your words and everything that you put. You, like even your Instagram is an art piece. Everyone has to, I think everyone who is an artist has to realize that too, is that like every photo that you post is a piece of your art. So a piece of you and a piece of your art and the person that you're representing. And it's, you know, it's why it's why a lot of people come to your, you know, come to your um your feed you know I I mean I hope so and you know it it feels really selfish in a lot of ways right because like I just am verbally vomiting all over this page and then slapping a picture of a weaving on it calling it a day right Um, but art art is meant to provoke right so mm -hmm. it's like if you want to be a true artist and I I say this and it's a weird position for me to be in to say it because I feel like I used to be that kind of but then it was a little bit more decor but whatever art is supposed to be provocative it's supposed to make people think and it's supposed to make people ask questions so along with that is the the message that you give out and yeah i think it's wonderful because it does make people think it connects people to you and it's i mean it's wonderful so yeah i mean i post a lot i do tend to post in real time right like uh, the weavings that i'm making like i'm I mean, for the most part, like I, I make it, I post it, you know, I don't really go back. I don't re- I tend not to repost stuff, which is probably not working in my favor. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just try to, my captions generally are a very accurate reflection of my headspace in the time at which that piece was created. And, you know, I'm not fancy over here. Like I literally photograph my weavings in my bathroom because it's the only room in my house that has white walls. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is totally right. not, it's totally not fancy, you know, but I know I, people, you know, there's so much social media is so weird. Right. And I mean, it is, it can totally suck you in and it can totally be addictive and it can totally feel fake. And I feel like we're getting a lot of this messaging of like social media is not real right now, which I feel like is true to an extent, but like, it's not true for everyone, Mm -hmm. you know, like it sort of depends what type of content you're consuming. You know, I mean, yeah, if you're consuming a lot of like 
advertising content like celebrity content and stuff like that then yeah you know a lot of that stuff is not real but i think there are a fair amount of us that really do like strive to be quite real Mm -hmm. you know about that even when it's not pretty you know um and it's not that it's not real it's just not all of it because how is that possible right right that's totally impossible that's totally impossible but i feel like this backlash against social media has kind of been like but wait there's still actually like some real shit to be gleaned from it you know and good stuff and good stuff and good stuff all the Mm -hmm. people we're connecting with and all the Mm -hmm. like-minded you know stuff it's yeah I wouldn't be happy. I, mean, I wouldn't have this podcast. I wouldn't have a business without social media. So, right? Oh my yeah. god! Okay, yeah. see, so much, a thousand so much percent. to be grateful for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, I have taken up a lot of your time. I want to just thank you so much, Amanda, for sharing so much of your oh, story. Thanks for letting me be here. Yeah, I mean, I feel like yes, we all have a lot to learn from you as well. I I love your oh, outspokenness, gosh. so don't don't ever stop doing that. Thank you. And this is literally, I mean, this is like a dream come true. Like when you asked me to do this, I was, I was outside of my kid's dentist appointment and I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I like texted my girlfriend. I texted my sister. I texted like, Oh, she was like, guess what? Um, so I, I thank you so much for the opportunity because this is like, this is a big deal for me, Cindy. This is a really big deal. (laughs) Well, thank you. I mean, honestly, and this was such a pleasure too. Like, I feel like I could talk to you for three more hours. Same, Um, same. Call me anytime. All right. We'll do it again. (laughs) Take care. Sounds good. Bye. I'll see you soon. Bye. Check the show notes of each episode to get the website and Instagram for each of the fiber artists I speak with. Be sure to give them a follow. And you can view video from this podcast on neuromastudio.com slash the fiber artist podcast. If you enjoy the Fiber Artist Podcast, go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you for listening.